0: And this is the K-Cut. My name is James. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the Alice Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. Uh, I've contributed a few articles to Films Fatale, and my main expertise here on the show is no-budget cinema.
1: I'm Rachel. I can remember any piece of trivia as long as it's completely useless, and that's why I love the Oscars.
0: My name
2: is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. And I love international cinema, art house cinema, and everything in between, but that doesn't matter because the Oscars never honor that stuff, so, except for the occasional international film, depends on, you know, what it is, so, uh, welcome to another edition of our Oscars roundtable, where... Uh, each year, we try to partake of what is known uh, globally as the Oscars death race, where you watch every single nominated film, including the ones that barely exist, like Tell It Like a Woman, and we report our findings here. What are our favorite nominations? What do we want to win? What do we think will win? Because that's not always the same answer. What should not have been here at all? And all that good stuff. So... Because of how things were this year and in terms of how late we could see some of the nominees, we're going to consolidate things a little bit this year. I know last year we had like an extravaganza with all these episodes. We're just going to do uh, two episodes, bite-sized, recapping as much as we can. Um, And yeah, everything's going to be good. So what we're going to do is in the first portion of the episode, I'm just going to riff off Um, the nominees of the categories we will be covering, Um, especially for some categories that, you know, it's not that they're not important. Uh, We just want to focus on the big ones when it comes to our discussions because otherwise we know we'll be here all day. So um, I will just go over the nominees of the smaller categories, not too small, of course, they're always important, Uh, go over what each of our favorites were individually, or we might all agree that we all love the same nominee, and what we all think will actually win.
1: And this year, the Academy will actually show them all on TV.
2: Oh, thank goodness for that. Like, what a waste of time. Like, just so many stupid decisions. But we don't have to worry about that this year. And hopefully, we don't have to worry about any slapping either. Like, but brace ourselves for what we are going to get. <laughs> wrong Wrong award winner, um, a streaker, we never know with these things. So um, in the second portion of the episode, what we're going to do is actually go into some of the bigger categories a little bit more um, in depth. Uh, but obviously still very much to the point, and all that good stuff. So in the second portion of the episode, we're going to get into some heavy categories, like the big three non-best picture feature film categories, animated, documentary, and international. And then we're going to get into both the supporting categories as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Otherwise, are we good for me to just bullet through these first preliminary categories? Zoom. Yes. Okie dokie. So, the very first category we're going to go through are the makeup and hairstyling nominees. So, this year, uh, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Elvis, and The Whale. Now, this one is easy and such a great way to start because Rachel, James, and myself all loved The Whale the most, and we all think it's going to win. Nice. I wish they were all this simple, but they aren't. But they're they're going to be uh they're going to be great. And if it doesn't win, I think we will all eat our hats. So uh, next we have best costume design. So our nominees are Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. What a shock! So uh, now that this isn't the same for all across the board. I'm going to go into each pick individually. Uh, Rachel's favorite to win is the legendary Ruthie Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But, Rachel, you think Babylon is going to win?
1: That's correct.
2: Well, I mean, Babylon does have have some really good costume design over the course of so many eras, so I think that's going to be great. Uh, I have no problem with that winning. Uh, James, if I look at your selection you actually your favorite was mrs harris goes to paris which uh i can't fault you for that i think the caution design in that film especially because it's all based on dior is fantastic and you also go with babylon for the win
0: yeah i mean it just it, it seems like the move the academy's gonna make
2: well i mean there's nothing wrong with that so for me I don't remember what I put on on Films Fatale because I ranked every category. For now, I'm going to stick with Ruthie Carter as my favorite. Um, So Black Panther Wakanda forever. She's legendary. She's fantastic. As for who will actually win, I don't remember what I predicted before, but I've heard rumblings of Elvis, so we're going to go with Elvis. Probably going to win.
1: Really? Uh, All of these were good this year.
2: Oh, yeah. None of the nominees were bad, though. That's, that's you know, at least there's some comfort in that. Were any of the best production design nominees bad? Well, let's go through them quickly. So, what we have here is All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of Water. Babylon, again, it's not nominated for everything. That's just how we started with these categories. Um, Elvis, that is nominated for everything, surprisingly. And The Fablemans. So... Uh, Rachel, for best costume design, your or sorry, for best production design, your favorite is wow, it's Babylon, and you think Babylon's actually going to win this one too?
1: I just have this feeling it's going to do well in the tax.
2: I mean, there is a very good chance it will, and I was surprised it wasn't nominated for best picture, not because I like it. If anybody knows me, it's quite the opposite, but because it accumulated so much love in these categories. Um, James, you actually loved Babylon the most as well, but you think for production design, Avatar: The Way of Water is actually going to win
0: yeah it i just i just think it's it it would make sense it just kind of me. i like that it's not nominated for everything because i don't want it to clean house like dune did last year because i thought that was just dune just seemed like a kind of a cop-out for them to pick win every single tech award even though a lot of the nominees were just as strong in a lot of these categories but i, I think if it's production design i was like you know what if it Because I already know it's like, you know, when it comes to visuals, it's like Avatar is definitely a sure shot, but I think production design will go along with it.
2: Yeah, I actually listed that as my favorite as well. Avatar The Way of Water for production design. I feel like uh, the CGI was excellent, but what they built to go alongside it was just as mind-blowing. Having said that, what I think is actually going to win, um, that's a good question. I have a weird feeling, and I could change my mind, it's... I'm going to jump on this train. I'm going to say Babylon as well. But deep down, I feel like it might be all quiet on the Western Front. But I'll go with Babylon. Why not? I'm going to change on the fly. So we are now going to hop into the short categories. Keep it short and sweet. And if uh, you folks at home have not watched any of the shorts, I uh, recommend that you do because we've had some really good ones this year. So the uh, nominees for Best Live Action short are Le Poupil, An Irish Goodbye, The Red Suitcase, Night Ride, and Eva Lou, I think is how it's pronounced. So um, if we look at our individual picks here, uh, Rachel's favorite is the red suitcase, but you believe that an Irish goodbye is going to be the winner. Yes, I do. And uh, James, it sounds like you think it's also going to win, an Irish goodbye, but you actually picked it as your own personal favorite as well.
0: So I was... A, I was... The red suitcase was my favorite, but, and I, they're kind of equal for me. I think it's just like having lost a parent last year, like that short really kind of hit me a bit differently than the other ones. And I feel like the it was way, also really entertaining.
2: Absolutely. And I feel like the way that it's like so, um, oh, what's the word? Like dysfunctional as well is like very realistic when it comes to like grief and stuff. So.
1: And it's a great portrayal of a character with Down syndrome that isn't seen too often.
2: Absolutely. I feel like, um, I hope that and like the Peanut Butter Falcon and those sorts of uh, portrayals are going to be like the norm from now on. Um,
1: also, Ireland is having quite a year at the Oscars this year. So maybe this will be one of its wins.
2: Yeah. What are some of the other nominees that you're thinking of?
1: Uh, Paul Meskel, everybody who was involved with The Banshees of Inisharan, and um, what was the other one? Uh, the, the Quiet Girl, of
2: course. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and the- that's like authentically in Irish as well and that was just like yes. beautiful to listen to. But that's uh that's for later on in the episode. Uh otherwise I'm in agreement that an Irish goodbye is probably going to win. But my also, also my personal favorite along uh alongside you Rachel is the red suitcase. I thought it was brilliant.
1: But shorts are unpredictable, so our predictions are kind of out of thinner.
2: <laughs> right. Uh yeah, they 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 can be very unpredictable and I'm sure that this next batch of category or this next batch of nominees will also be unpredictable. That is the Best Documentary Short, or as it's sometimes called, Best Documentary Short Subject. Uh, So your nominees are The Elephant Whisperers, How Do You Measure a Year, Stranger at the Gate, The Martha Mitchell Effect, and Howl Out, I think it's pronounced. The Lovely Walrus documentary. How do you pronounce it, Rachel? Hole Hole Out. Well, that shows how much I actually watch these. I'm a terrible MC. I'm going home. So, uh, Rachel, luckily you did not pick Hole Out as your um, as your favorite. Nothing wrong with it. Just I uh, didn't want to be proven wrong. But uh, your favorite was actually Elephant Whisperers. But you think the the winner is going to be the relatively safe and crowd pleasing Stranger at the Gate?
1: I think so. I think it's it's serious enough to be taken seriously, but broad enough to appeal to people.
2: I cannot dispute that. Really, um, let's see what James thinks. James you actually are on a completely different wavelength. Your favorite is the Martha Mitchell effect. And I guess she had a huge effect on you because you actually think that that documentary short is going to win the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought all the other ones, they, they were well done. Elephant Whisperer is just, I don't know, after uh, my octopus teacher, I can't do an animal anything right now because it's just, at least this one was a short. Um, Strangers at the Gate, I don't know, I thought there was... That one just felt awkward towards the end. Um, but the Martha Mitchell effect, I think it's one of the, it's like a the perfect short to drop now in just like the era where everyone's literally deconstructing everything to death and you start like, we're actually highlighting stories like this because Martha Mitchell was like a firecracker when her husband was involved in the whole, you know, Watergate. He was the Watergate scandal. And it's just like, oh, I didn't even know this part. And then, you know, the how they try to paint her as crazy. And she was like, no, I'm not going to be quiet. And she was just loud all in, in general. She wasn't like the the typical wives of politicians. No, she was, she was sitting at the tables with them without their permission in being involved. Yeah,
1: uh, I want to be Martha Mitchell when I grow up.
2: And I hope a lot of people
0: have learned her story because, like,
2: to your both of your points, uh, she was basically written out of history until now. So uh, it's very important for sure. Uh, my personal favorite is The Elephant Whispers, and I actually do think it's going to win as well. So, uh, but I do see Martha Mitchell and Stranger at the Gate having high, high chances here. Um, finally, we're going to leap into our best animated shorts. Um, uh and here are your nominees and i assure you this is one nominee the boy the mole the fox and the horse that's just one that's one nominee um and uh, apologies to all the uh, all the kids at home uh my year of dicks is the next one an ostrich can announce
1: it on their social media we can announce it here
2: my year of dicks let's say it loud and let's say it proud uh, an ostrich an ostrich told me that the sorry jeez an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it, without the question mark. Uh, the Flying Sailor and Ice Merchants. So for these uh, smaller categories, uh, the final one, uh, Rachel's favorite is My Year of Dicks, but you think uh, the Tinker Tailor t- Soldier Boy Mole Spy is going to win?
1: The boy, the mole, his wife, and her lover? Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> That would make for a for a hell of a triple billing, I think. It just would. Uh,
1: actually, oh, I, they're good. all
2: British, right? I think they are, all three of those films.
0: Yes. That makes it even better.
2: Uh, then that's the only common ground, but it'll still work. Uh, okay. So, um, James, your favorite was My Year of Dicks, and you actually think it's going to win as well.
0: Yeah, this was actually difficult because all of them were really good, especially an ostrich told me I was not expecting that. So good. Also, the um, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse that was such a wholesome short. Like, I almost wish it was a feature.
2: Yeah. The, and
1: the ones that skew to younger audiences tend to win more. Right?
2: They can. They can, especially because this has. Apple TV behind it. And that certainly helps <coughs> code <clears> up. <throat> so um, I think that's going to win. The boy, the, the mole, the fox, and the horse. And everybody else. Um, but my personal favorite was an ostrich told me the world is fake. And I think I believe it. I also believe that it's not going to win, unfortunately. But yeah, you never know. So those are our um, smaller categories. Now we're going to get into... Five categories with a little bit more, a little bit more substance, a little bit more to discuss. So, the first category we're going to get into. Eh, you know what? I really like animated films. So why don't we just keep talking about animated films, except instead of shorts, let's get into the best animated feature nominees. So, your nominees are your nominees are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel, The Shell with Shoes On. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the earliest released film in all of these nominees, because I think it's like, oh no, The Batman is. The Batman's the earliest released one, but this is close. This was like it last year It came out year a
1: year March. ago, roughly this week.
2: Yeah, that and The Batman, so they're like kind of close to each other. So, nonetheless, uh, let's go in the same order that I was announcing things. So, Rachel, why don't you discuss the animated feature noms?
1: Right. So Sea Beast, I ranked fifth because I think it was a very cool adventure story, but it just didn't add anything new for me. I put Turning Red as fourth as both kind of age bias of being roughly the same age as the girl and Toronto bias. Also, it's just a really well done family movie with some great talent involved. And it's a little bit different. Um, You know, I like it for a lot of the same reasons I like Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, because I feel it's an experience that doesn't get represented very often. And then Puss in Boots, third, it's funny, it's clever, it's got a good story, kids like it, grown-ups like it, Puss in Boots had something for everyone, no complaints. Marcel I put second, so tender, so heartfelt, so lovely, and beautifully animated, and just a little bit weird, and I like films that are a little bit weird. And then Pinocchio, how do I put this? Guillermo del Toro made Pinocchio's story grow up a little. And I won't spoil how he changed the story, but it really, really gave it extra dimension that was quite stunning.
2: I couldn't agree more. So and I
1: think Pinocchio's gonna take the the win.
2: Pinocchio's gonna take the win. Why do you think it's gonna take the win just out of interest?
1: Uh because of the historical stuff it adds in, which I think is relevant in this era, and because Del Toro's behind it.
2: I mean, hey, nothing against this film, but if Nightmare Alley is up for Best Picture, the Academy loves Del Toro for sure. So, and he's won. He has won. He won Best Picture for the second fantasy film ever to win Best Picture, and the only I thought a woman
1: having an affair with a fish monster, which is amazing,
2: right? And It's the only one that's not tied to a franchise like Lord of the Rings, which had you know two films ahead of it. So, the first authentic standalone fantasy film to win Best Picture. Hey, I mean, the guy's got something. All right, James. Uh, with that in mind, what are you, what is your ranking going to be like, and also who do you think is going to win?
0: So mine is actually the exact same as Rachel's, but I guess I'll, I'll go through them all to kind of explain. Seabeast, I found sea Beast just kind of typical. Like I, I think there were like I take it back. There's I was going to say there are other ones, but no, there's specifically one. Apollo ten and a half should have been in that spot.
1: I haven't seen it, but I know how much you like it. And oh,
0: like it's so good. Uh, turning red. I liked it. It it was it was a pretty standard as far as, you know, a certain company who made that movie. Uh Puss in Boots, I actually I actually really liked it. It's a good example of a kind of more of a family film that isn't trying to like kind of punch down on a child's intelligence because it deals with some really heavy themes, which was like I especially like a certain the uh the wolf character I wasn't expecting that to turn out the way it did.
2: Oh, like the death character?
0: Yeah, it was like, wow, that was that was that's intense, uh, Marcel. I would say this is an interesting one, and it's just A twenty four has a knack for picking up these really interesting films. Like, I'm glad they exist as a company because it's like they they put out because this was a really interesting story. Like, it had me wondering what was going to happen next the entire time, especially because it's like you know, it, it's just like anthropomorphic shell who's like once you know separated from his family he's just trying to survive and you know this filmmaker who happens to be staying at an airbnb that he resides in and he's just uses him as a subject but but obviously it's got to go to pinocchio uh guillermo dotero is only allowed to do animated features now and uh i actually saw this really funny comment on tiktok when i forgot what the main video was but someone said guillermo del toro is what tim burton thinks he is and i was like oh oh i was like wow the shade but i was like they're kind of right
2: uh they're kind of absolutely right Uh, but i don't want to lose listeners so i'm just gonna move on uh yeah pinocchio Similar ranking for me, uh, the Sea third, and I, I want to clarify that I think all of these nominees are at least good, good to great. So uh, I do like the Sea Beast, but a family film should not be close to two hours when it's like not warranted. I feel like it's a little bit overlong, but the animation is beautiful, and I feel like it's a great approach to like a mature family film, kind of like what we saw in the late 90s, or early 2000s from Disney, like Atlantis or Treasure Planet kind of hoping for more stuff like this because I feel like that avenue was not properly explored enough before. Um, Speaking of maturity, number three, I have uh, Puss in Boots Last Wish. Um, I feel like like a lot of people love this film and it's like their film to win for this category. I don't know if I like it quite as much because I feel like it's a little bit more family based but the darker themes are excellent. The sorbik illustrations are just beautiful uh for a sequel to a spin off of a Shrek franchise um it might actually be the best in the entire franchise <laughs> like it's actually if it's not it's like up there with being one of the best and it's at least a stronger dreamworks out uh, a stronger dreamworks project and I don't know how many years outside of how to train your dragon. So it's a nice change of pace. Uh, number three, I have turning red, which I guess I like a little bit more than both of you. Um, turning red for me, I it's, it's still like standard Pixar, but I think it's like one of the better examples of standard Pixar where it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's still worth watching. And it really got to me as well. And that's erasing all of the personal biases of being a Torontonian growing up in the exact same time that May did. Um, I still feel like it's got a lot to say, and I love the fact that it never succumbs to having an outright villain. It's just circumstance and personal ambitions getting in the way of one another, um, but it's about the mutual understanding that kind of resolves everything. Uh, I, I like Turning Red quite a bit. Um, number two is uh Marcel Lachelle with shoes on, which I absolutely adore outside of one or two conveniences. I think it's one of the most inventive films of last year love the mockumentary vibe loves the fact that it's uh just so cute but at the same time so moving um in the same way that james you were bringing up something uh before that personally affected you uh this film personally affects me a lot as well because i imagine the um um the the older shell reminds me a lot of uh something that i'm going through as well and it's uh It's tough to shake off, but at the same time, I kind of felt seen. But that's not going to affect my rankings at all. I just wanted to bring up the power of movies in the same way that you did. Love Marcel Lachelle. It's adorable, but also just very effective. Number one is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I'm so glad it was a success. Love it. It's so creative as well. Um, I'll respect your wishes, Rachel. I will not spoil anything. The choices that del Toro made are just so... It's so interesting and everything feels like it was worthwhile and it enhances the story. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that this is going to go down as one of the most definitive versions of Pinocchio cinematic history, especially because so many of them are big crap and we've seen a lot for the ostrich death race. So, um, I also think it's going to win. So, all right, I feel like to wrap up this category, we all predict a Pinocchio win, correct?
1: And we all ranked it first.
2: And if any of us are lying, our noses shall grow, and uh, unfortunately, none of us can see that because we're recording from home, so we can't tell if any of us are BSing, so we'll never know. (laughs) So, uh, speaking of fact or fiction, um, uh, Pinocchio cannot tell a lie, otherwise people will know, and same thing with documentaries. We're going to get into the best documentary feature, and I've got to say, this is probably the strongest category of every single nominee this year, like this is just So stacked. Here are your nominees. All That Breathes, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, and Navalny. Oh my goodness, where do we start? Rachel, please...
1: I ranked Fire... Okay, when films are this good stacked together, you've got to get really subjective. So when I rank something last, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. It just means it didn't grab me as much as the rest for very subjective reasons. So I put Fire of Love last just because the subject matter didn't draw me in, really. And then The House Full of Splinters I liked as well. I felt that it was much more straightforward as a film and it didn't quite take the... Well, no, it took a lot of risks, but in terms of creating... In terms of... The style of the film, I think there was more experimentation in the others that put them above uh, the two at the bottom. All That breathes it was beautiful, it was meditative, it was a compelling subject matter, it just had all the ingredients. All The Beauty and the Bloodshed, I would call a symphony in film form, just like I did with Ascension last year. It was just beautifully constructed, it was innovative, I mean, it was Poitras, so, you know... It's going to be something good, and the subject matter is very important. But I had to put number one, which I also think is going to win, is Novalny. I thought this was an incredibly compelling thriller of a documentary. It really was. And I don't mean that to make light of the situation. I just mean that it kept the viewer drawn in, and it really communicated its message. It has been cleaning up lately, and I think it's going to continue that streak.
2: So tough to rank these. Um, and. Uh, all very valid points. And I'm, sh- I'm sure we're going to hear some similar th- sentiments when we hop over to you, James.
0: All righty. So yeah, this was really, this was a really strong year for documentaries. I put a uh, house made of splinters. It just didn't really jump out at me. Uh, I did uh, all the breeze forth. I thought this was really interesting. This is one of those ones that I think could have been a short, but that's, I can that. That's really yeah, it's it it, it was yeah, there, sometimes they're either just too long or too short. In this case it was a bit too long. But I I do like the, the kind of nuanced subject matter of you know them trying to like rehabilitate these specific birds.
2: Oh the uh, black kites.
0: Yeah. Uh put Fire of Love third. I enjoyed it. I think anything that is comprised of archive footage it's always fascinating because you have to be very particular in the way that you do it. And I thought this pulled it off really well, especially telling a really bizarre love story that just makes any couple activity seem lame in comparison. I mean, you don't expect a a bond over volcanoes to be a thing, but it was. All the ble- Beauty and the Bloodshed. I, I think this is one of the more, more important ones. Because of the prescription drug crisis that you know we've been dealing with in recent years, but also just like just seeing this story, it's very captivating. Kind of like the like the flashes back and the cl- flashes forward to the protests and stuff like that. So I, I think it's definitely one to be remembered. But uh, a novelty, that's the number one. This this was it. And just the story. Just the the whole events of this whole situation in general is just fascinating. But just this guy is just so interesting, especially how, you know, him trying to, what he's doing, especially with how he, you know, just does all these campaigning and all this stuff, but also the fact that it's like, you know, he uses TikTok to get his message out. It's just, You know, he seems like a really awesome guy, like just in real life in general. So it's like, I'm kind of curious to keep up and see like what happens with him moving forward, because this did such a great job at just kind of like showing something that's very important that we need to be aware of. But just a personality that somebody, you know, because it's like there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bad talk with Russia, but it's like it's not the entirety of the country. In fact, it's like the people there don't like what's going on either.
2: Great point. Absolutely. Great point. Do you think it's going to win?
0: I think it might win. Also, I kind of like it was almost like the way it moved like a thriller. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, like it's it's documentary, but it, it almost felt like you could have like written this as a na- regular, like fictional narrative feature. And it would have been amazing.
2: Absolutely. Uh, for me, I had A House Made of Splinter's last, except I actually quite liked the film. I feel like it was an excellent example of Verite. And I love the fact that it didn't necessarily tell you how to feel. It's very much rooted in the gray area of what's happening in this, um, in this orphanage house for, uh, Ukrainian refugees, uh, specifically like youths. I don't remember what the age limit is. Um, but like the fact that it's not necessarily just positive, it's like also just so mixed in like the rebellion and, um, the upset that can happen when your life is kind of in disarray. It's a very, it doesn't tell you how to feel, but you can extrapolate whatever you feel is necessary from these images. Um, Number four, please don't please don't hate me guys. Um I actually have Navalny Fourth, and I feel like I need to revisit this. It's been months since I saw it. I liked it a lot, and it's only fourth because I have to rank these, but I, I am in agreement that I think this is an excellent documentary. Um why it's winning and how people are feeling so strongly, I think I need to revisit the film. Um, and it certainly begs to be re- revisited, because it's just, I'll, I'll say this, out of all of the documentaries, the subject matter is the most, like, befuddling. Like, it's actually frightening, the fact that this is real. And um, in terms of its importance, it's very important. Um, I, I will think definitely. only
1: be... has also come along at a time when people were very receptive to it.
2: That's also true, and it came a few years after another very similar documentary, Icarus, which is about the doping scandal in the uh, Russian hosted Olympics in Sochi, I believe. Um, yeah, I feel like it's uh, very pointed but like like you said, James, um, this isn't this is indicative of an entire nation and not everybody's in agreement with what's going on. Um, Regardless, I feel like it's very important to watch. Uh, number three, I Have Fire of Love. Like you, James, I'm a sucker for archival footage when handled properly, and it's just such great footage, so nostalgic. It just really set me kind of in like a, a state of euphoria while at the same time having this big downfall because of the ultimate, you know, I guess it's called the climax of the film. Uh, you know, people unfortunately passing for doing what they love. Um loved it loved it loved it I think it's so good number two is all that breathes which uh i feel the the opposite james I, I did not want this to end i wanted this to go on for three hours i love the fact that it's not just focusing on the black kites it's focusing the uh, black kites are like birds of prey by the way um it's focusing on literally all breathing all breathing beings anything that has a life and has a pulse um i love the fact that the film starts off as rats and you assume that they're there because they're either infiltrating a city or they're there for the black kites to eat as their birds of prey but no really what i ultimately find that message to be now is that they're important as well every being is important and god i as soon as that finished i just wanted to watch it again it was actually the last film i watched for the oscars death race my first thought wasn't oh i'm finished It's damn it i didn't want that to end so (laughs) But it's not first. First is All the Beauty in the Bloodshed, which I'll try and keep it short and sweet. We'll be here all day if I don't. I think it's one of the greatest documentaries I've seen in the last 10 years. And I was just so blown away, disgusted, um, hurt, but also just deeply moved. Just, It's one of the most powerful films I've seen in years. And Nan Golden is just, a, just a remarkable human being. And... Um, I, I think it's one of the best documentaries I've seen in the last ten years, perhaps of all time. Seriously, I adore this film. I used to think it was going to win, and that's what the original prediction I had on on Films Fatale was that, that this was gonna win. But I think the tides changed like they always do in um as they always do in uh, in the, the awards season. So I think this is actually gonna go to Navalny. Any final thoughts on the documentary category?
1: I think we covered it pretty well.
0: I, it was a it was a tough one. It's just they were all good.
1: Yeah. So, in the interest of keeping this moving, shall we hop over and travel the world a bit?
2: Yeah. In case we weren't traveling the world already with the you know the documentary features, you know, we were we we're going to like Russia, we're going over to um, Ukraine as well, um, over to the United States. Now we're going all over the place. We're gonna visit so many countries, and four out of
1: five of them are in Europe
2: so many countries, but not so many continents. (laughs) So (laughs) I guess that, that kind of sets the tone a little bit better. Oh yeah, they are all in Europe. My God. Um, So here are your nominees, not decision to leave. Sorry. Uh, Here are your nominees for best international feature film. All acquired on the Western front, representing Germany, Argentina, 1985, representing France, (laughs) representing Argentina, obviously Um, close is representing Belgium EO, representing Poland. And finally, The Quiet Girl, I say emphatically, representing Ireland. Rachel, I have a feeling I know what you're going to rank very highly, as we've discussed earlier in the episode. But nonetheless, have at it. What are your rankings? RRR. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I didn't bring that up sorry
1: anyway number five I put Argentina just because I think it was a really strong film a really strong courtroom drama but it did get bogged down a bit and I felt it was a little bit overlong. uh all uh all Quiet on the western front I ranked as number four it is a very strong film it's a great world war one film it has very little to do with the novel all Quiet on the western front it completely botched its adaptation and I'm very mad about it and anyway uh special no points to all Quiet on the western front but it was well made so I'll put it forth And then third was Close. I thought this was lovely. I thought this was heartfelt, beautiful story about adolescence in Belgium. Um, Ultimately, though, I think I just love The Quiet Girl more. I think I, I, first of all, I'm always up for a good Irish language exercise. But second, I just love the performance by the lead girl, by her various family members, and the journey she goes through. And really, Close and The Quiet Girl kind of exist on the same a wavelength, so it was interesting to watch the two fairly close together. But number one has to be EO, just because I loved the creativity they took with it, the camera work, and in the end, I just adored that poor little donkey. I I think it was a really compelling story, and I love animal stories, and that one is from Poland. Uh, I think All Quiet is going to win, as much as it pains me to say it.
2: Yeah, I don't know if uh, we're going to hear much of a difference in that part of the discussion. But uh James, do you have, do you at least have a different ranking or are you on the same page as Rachel again?
0: I am actually on the same page. so oh my God. I Argentina see 1985 <laughs> last. It was it, I thought it was good. It was just basic. It, it was it didn't really do anything to really stand out. All Quiet on the Western Front. <clears throat> Mainly it's it's a standard war film. It was very well done and I you know uh, yeah, I'll just say that. It was really well made. But at this, as far as just war movies go, I think there are, have been better. I, I think, like, I, I mean, we saw a better one with 1917. At least in my opinion. But yeah, I put close third. I think, I don't know what it is. I think we're just getting, I think we get so many coming of age movies in like the past decade that it's really hard to like. Be excited about one. And I I thought this one was great. But yeah, it it just sat in the middle for me. The Quiet Girl I really enjoyed. I think the story was a little bit more... I'm a little bit more endearing than Close. I think it's because the Close... When you get to a certain part of the movie that I won't spoil, it kind of becomes more of a character study. Whereas The Quiet Girl, I think, you know, you can feel the depth in the relationship that builds uh, with her grandparents. Or was it her grandparents?
2: They were relatives of some sort. Rachel, do you recall?
1: Yeah, they were like distant cousins or something.
0: Oh, that's right. Not grandparents. I think it's just because they were older. It was like their grandparents. But, you know, because there's a kind of a reveal there that actually is really kind of puts two and two together on this relationship that's developing. But I got to go with EO as a top because I never thought a movie about a donkey would be as interesting as this was. And it's like... (laughs) We need more movies like that. It was almost like if Terrence Malick decided to make a movie just about an animal, that's what this movie would be. Also, that open ended it the way it, the ending, the way it was, I was just like, you, you can't just leave it off like that. I need to see more.
1: Well, we all know that EO moved to the Hundred Acre Wood and took up his life there, and he was very sad after all he'd been through.
2: Well, I don't know if I want to make that comparison anymore after that awful Woody the Poop, Blood, and Honey movie, but let's just <laughs> pretend that doesn't exist. If we can pretend that this is real, we could pretend that that doesn't exist. What do you think is going to win, James?
0: I think it'll be The Quiet Girl.
2: You think that's going to win? Wow, okay.
0: Really? I, I, think, I think for once the the Academy will chill out on giving a, the award to a war movie.
1: No, yeah, they do like their war
2: movies. They do, they really do. I have this question though. Even though it's nominated for Best Picture, do you think A Quiet Girl still has a chance to beat All Quiet?
1: Also, why are they both quiet?
0: I don't know. All I Quiet mean,
2: Girls on the Western Front.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it might stand a chance. It's it's like a sliver of a chance. But uh I mean we all know the best we all know this award should be going to RRR, though.
2: Yes. Or decision to leave. Those are both films that were well, one was at the head of the academy decision to leave, and one was at the academy of its own nation. India not selecting RRR is very silly. I think we all know that.
1: Also, as two thirds of this podcast is Canadian and Michigan is very close to Canada, I have to say this is like the tenth year in a row Canada hasn't been nominated. And guys, come on, we gotta make it happen.
2: Yeah, we we've got good output. We just gotta do something. You know, we gotta do something. So, uh, number five argentina 1985 i feel like i've got nothing else to add to that uh number four uh all quiet on the western front as well um i don't hate the changes like you do rachel i feel like they're at least making the film kind of feel necessary when uh ultimately i, f- I feel like the 1930 version uh the british version is like the ultimate version it's one of the best war films of all time we're um, gonna have
1: fun with this during adapted screenplay
2: yeah, <laughs> I don't want it to an doctor screenplay that much, I can tell you. But at least I feel like if the original's purpose was to show how it affects somebody's life on the battlefield and once they, they come home, they're never the same. Uh, here, it's more of a question of um, how every minute matters and uh, petty decisions, continuing wars, and, and countless, of, countless lives being lost per the minute, uh, which I feel like is interesting. Uh, I still feel like it's not as good as the other... Uh, Best Picture winner. Uh, not saying that this is going to win Best Picture, mind you, but it did clean up at the BAFTAs, you never know. Um, number three, I have The Quiet Girl, which I liked quite a bit. I feel like uh, that was the most underseen film of all of the nominees, and I feel like that's going to change now with this nomination. I, I've heard nothing but love for this film, and if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. It's just so sublime, so moving. Um, number two is EO. Uh can't add much more to it that uh both of you haven't said already and um the only thing I'll add is if you like this film uhryson is a film called oh Are*, which this film is based on at least loosely that is a must if you love if you love a uh, donkey films a donkey new wave uh that is the place to start.
1: Also, yeah, great year for
2: donkeys. <laughs> great year for donkeys, especially with uh, not not great within the confinements of their stories, like Banshees of Inishirin and EO, but uh, the donkey representation on screen, yes, yes, donkey representation. Um, number one, I'm going to uh, rate Close, which I was so moved by this film. I love the fact that it speaks volumes with what's not on screen as opposed to what is on screen. Just loved it, loved it, loved it. Can't sing about it more than I can. I mean, if I if I did, we'd just be here all day again. Um, that's always my excuse, but it's true, you know. Uh, but I think All Quiet's going to win. I feel like it's nominated for Best Picture. It's nominated for so many other things. I'm, like, frightened It as a slight chance to win Best Picture overall now because of what happened at the BAFTAs. But at the same time, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, for me, it's like...
1: i afraid of that one-inch barrier of subtitles.
2: Yeah, but like when the film, I feel like is the best film of it, like decision to leave was not even nominated. If that was like cleaning up house, I'd be so stoked. But anyway, we're not going down that path. We're going to go down a different path instead. Um, You know what happens when somebody gets like really upset? You need a little bit of support. And this is the worst segue of all time. We're heading over to the supporting acting categories. First off, we're going to start off with supporting actor. Um who would do a hell of a lot better of a job of segueing than I just did. Uh, here are your nominees, though. Speaking of uh, donkey films, we've got Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Inishiran, Brian Tyree Henry, one of the like mysterious selections. Just so awesome. Uh, Causeway, so happy that this happened. Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans. Uh, shortest, on, uh, shortest screen time that any of the nominees have. I think he was in Fablemans for like 10 minutes, not even. Um, Barry Keegan and the Banshees of Inishirin, and Kihi Kwan, everything, everywhere, all at once. First off, before we get into our rankings, shall we make our prediction as who's going to win on the count of three? One, two, three.
1: On. Kihi Kwan. On.
2: Yep. okay, so we're all now, in agreement.
1: <laughs> I gotta say here, though, nothing's certain until the envelope's opened and there's no such thing as a lock. This is the best we know right now, but I think it's pretty obvious.
2: To your point, Brendan, or uh, to your point, Barry Keegan actually won the BAFTA, and not Kihi Kwan. He won everything else. But to your point, you just never know. Anyway, Rachel, what are your rankings?
1: Okay, I put Hirsch fifth. He was great, just the lowest screen time kind of hurt his chances here. Number four, Gleason. He did a great job. He was super funny. Uh, He was dark and frightening. He just kind of took everything in that role and embodied it. Henry, I thought he really changed his film. He brought a lot of tenderness to it and uh, I think added to the complexity and he elevated what would have been a very middling movie otherwise. Um, Then Keegan, I think his role was so easily a caricature, like it could have gone off the rails so fast, but he brought this real heart to it. And I think he really made the character a character instead of a joke. But yeah, Quan is number one and I'm going to say something a little odd about this, but I think that his performance is the equivalent of Maria Bakalova's in Borat. In that, if he had not been in this film, it would still have been a decent film, but it would have been a totally different film. I think that his character and the sort of, I'm overusing this term, but the heart that he brought to the film, the emotional center that he creates, made the film stronger and widened
2: its scope. Even though they're like completely different in terms of caliber, I understand what you're saying, where Maria Bakalova and Kihi Kwan are the emotional epicenters that tether otherwise absurdist films that could have gone off the rails.
1: It's the definition of a supporting role. It it expanded the film.
2: Absolutely. James, what about you? Are you also identical to Rachel's List again, or is this one going to be a little bit different?
0: No, mine's going to be slightly different. Okay. Uh, Hirsch, you know, it's the, the run time. It was the run time. That's really all I have to say about that. Uh, Barry Keegan fourth, because I thought it was good. I just... You know, it, it was good. I just... Th- this is a really hard category, but I, he was just the one I had to go forth. I had to go with uh, Brian T- Terry Henry third, because having loved him in his role in Atlanta, I still have to watch the last seasons, but... Uh, I, it was nice to see him in a vulnerable role. And I just thought, you know, he... Because, he, like, I... I mean, we'll, we'll obviously talk about this eventually. It's like, I, I wasn't really that into Causeway, but I think he was definitely one of the highlights of that. Uh, Brendan Gleeson second, because... I don't know, there was just something really great about his role in Banshees, which it's... I mean, that movie was great in general, but just, I think the way just... How he balanced out with Colin Farrell's performance. It was just something really great. But Kihue Kwan. The, if this man does not win, I, I'm going to riot. Like, especially because this was the first role he was offered since returning to acting. For those who don't know. And the way it happened was, I guess the Daniels had uh, seen a meme of... um Politician Andrew Yang, and it it was a joke that said, "Oh, look, it's short round, all grown up." And then they thought of him and realized he was the right age for the role, and then reached out because they were having trouble, you know, casting Waymond. And seeing the movie was just like, we really missed out on this for twenty years. Like, come on, Hollywood! Also, just this man is an absolute treasure and deserves every good thing. Because if if anybody. Look up all the speeches he's been doing and just all the stuff he's been doing on social media. This man is an absolute sweetheart and just deserves the world.
2: He did not deserve Encino Man and all the other nonsense he was cast in. You're right. We absolutely missed out on 20 years, more than 20 years, like close to 30 years. of What could have been? Um... Both uh,
1: strong contenders in the acting categories have a very similar trajectory this year, so it's very interesting to watch that play out.
2: You're you're referring to Brendan Fraser, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Another
1: More on that next episode. Yes,
2: more on that next episode. Uh that's not gonna be as set in stone, by the way. Um, which is shocking to me. But uh anyway, let's let's focus on supporting. Let's focus on supporting. So, uh number five, I've got Judd Hirsch, who I feel like steals the entire film. But again, it's that runtime, he's barely in it. But when he's in the film, my goodness, what a terrific performance. Um Originally, I had Barry Keegan at number four, but i'm gonna change things a little bit for my initial ranking. I usually do supporting both supporting categories first when I do my uh all of my rankings on Films fatale, so things might change um number four, I'm gonna place Brian Tyree Henry actually, who still is excellent in this film, but um I can't help but feel like. Had the film been written better or had a little bit more to to go off of, like I feel like it, he would have been even more exemplary. But what we do get is just fantastic from him. Um, number three, I actually have uh, Brendan Gleason, Brendan who was originally my number two. Um, Zimini Sheeran, who I think is fantastic. It's the, I believe it's the first time he's ever been nominated, right?
1: Yes, uh, sixteen out of twenty nominees this year were not nominated, and the only previous winner is Kate Blanchett.
2: Wow! So uh, we're going to have uh, you know at least up to four uh, newbies winning. So that's fantastic. If not, certainly three, which is really cool. Um, Brendan Gleeson is, is great in this film. It's nice that he's finally being uh, recognized. Um, he really does this nice tightrope walk where he never falls into being unbearable or being too cynical or being too annoying, which his character could have easily been given his, a uh, bullish sort of nature. Um, fantastic. And when he needs to have a change of heart, he does on a dime. Just fantastic. Number two, uh, Barry Keegan, who again was my number four before, uh, Once he won the BAFTA, I went back to the film and I did some, uh, reassessing and I got so much more out of his performance the second time I watched it. Not that I didn't get anything out of it before, but I find it so much more heartbreaking. And again, what you said, Rachel, he could have been a caricature, but he wasn't. He was just a misfit that you could believe was a real person. And, um, what I do agree with in my original assessment is that I don't even think this is the best that Barry Keegan's ever going to be. I feel like this was like a fun role for him. I feel like his best is yet to come, which is very exciting. Uh, Number one is Kihi Kwan. Uh, Rachel hit the nail on the head that this is like uh, the thing that the heart that keeps everything together and everything everywhere all at once. Um, Additionally, uh, he's doing what Michelle Yeoh does where it's like all of these different, uh, all of these different characters, Different ideas, personas, everything. Um, and just so effortless with it as well. And not once does he feel like the butt end of the joke as this, you know, like this goofy dad or husband or, you know, this lowlife or anything, or like suddenly now he's like this charismatic person. No, he's like believable at everything that he does. And uh you feel like you're um the wife, like Michelle Yeoh's character, like you're, you've missed something with this guy your entire life and you're finally seeing it now. It's really touching. So Kihi like Kwan, we're all in agreement that he's probably going to win. Nothing's ever for certain, but, um, otherwise, uh, we're talking about everything everywhere all at once. We're going to keep talking about it and Banshees have finished And here's our final category for the episode, best supporting actress. Um, we're going to go back to our original format. I don't think we're all going to have the same prediction for who's going to win this, because this is, this is a lot more up in the air now.
1: It's weird um, this
2: year. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, here are your nominees, um, which I believe all but Hong Chao have like, won something major. So here we go. Uh, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The first time a Marvel performance has ever been nominated. So interesting. Um Hong Chao for The Whale, one of the great dark horses of 2023. So happy about this. Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inashirin.
1: The only sane person in the village.
2: <laughs> yep. And she won a BAFTA, by the way. And Angela Bassett won the Golden Globe. And she won Critics' Choice, I think. Mm
1: hmm.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Carrie Condon won the BAFTA for this category. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All I Went, who won the SAG Award for this category. And her, um, her co-worker, let's call her, uh, Stephanie Sue, and Everything Ever All At Once as well. God, this one's so up uh, up in the air. Rachel, uh, make some sense of it.
1: Okay, I put uh, Curtis as fifth, and I gotta say there's a gap between her and my next person. And it's nothing is Jamie Lee Curtis. She's talented. She did a good job in the film. I just didn't feel the role quite lived up to what she can do. So uh, it just didn't fully do it for me. I put Sue fourth, but it was a really long gap between her and Curtis. I think she was stellar. I just think her performance didn't quite grab me as much as the others. Um, Then number three, I have Bassett. I just think she was tremendously, uh, she had to juggle a bunch of different things in somewhat limited Uh, context. You know, I think we think a superhero film's not emotionally deep, but she managed to mine all the emotion in that role, but not go over the top with it. She was truly queenly. Uh, Number two, Condon. Again, I just love her character. I think everybody else in the village is terrible but her, and um, she just really, when I watched the movie, she stood out as something special for that reason. I just think she really captained the film in a way. And then Chow, First of all, I think Zhao had the most to work with in the film. She really was edging into the grey area between supporting and lead, in my opinion. And I think that really boosts things. But she lived up to every aspect of it. All the things we learned about her past, her connections to other characters. She just nailed it. And that's why she's my number one. Sadly, I don't think this is her year. I think it's between Bassett, Curtis, and Condon, who have all won big precursors. Um... And, you know, I think Curtis has the longevity, but not the quality of the role. I think Condon has the quality of the role, but not the long career. And I think Bassett has the best of both. So I think Bassett takes it in the end.
2: Fair point. I mean, I'm still, like, trying to figure out, because I had a prediction on Phil's Patel, but that was, like, at this point almost a month ago. Actually, it was over a month ago, I think. Uh, <laughs> damn, the stretch between the nominations and the award show this year has been crazy. Uh James, do you have a similar list, or is yours drastically different?
0: Mine's different.
2: Okay, what's yours?
0: So I decided to go with Jamie Lee Curtis last. I thought it was—I I thought it was a very typical performance of hers. It, it not to diminish her work, but it's like I know what to expect from Jamie Lee Curtis. She's been around long enough. Um, I decided to go with Hong Chow fourth her performance was great. But I do think there, I don't have any specific names, but I do think there are probably a number of actresses who could have done that role just as well. So that's kind of what I based it on that. Um, I, And this was really hard. I decided to go with Angela Bassett third because she sits, a, it's, it's like she sits in the middle because I think it's like one of the things it's like, it's also, this is a sequel that we're kind of talking about so it's like we've already seen the role we've already seen what she does with the role so she didn't really do anything that different with the role but again it's really hard because it's angela bassett like she's one of the greatest actresses like in history period she's like one of the few people i would say that could rival Frances mcdormand just just because she's just so i mean just like look at all the things she's i mean she what she played um she played tina turner that's not that's not something the <laughs> any actress could do. Uh, I decided to go with Carrie Condon second because she was just amazing in this in that movie. And you're right, being the 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 only sane person in the village. But I think it's just her attitude, how snappy she was in being the only sane person. Just I think her reactions to everybody else is really what made the performance. Like if everybody else wasn't as crazy, then her her character really wouldn't have stuck out. But I had to go with Stephanie Shue. There is just something, it's one of the only roles where I think only she, she's one of the few people who could have pulled this role off. I don't know, there's just something about her performance that really grabbed me, which is the complete opposite of Rachel, but that's what makes the pod fun, the differing opinions. As far as who wins, (coughs) it's really hard to say, because it's like you have, like, two legends like jamie lee curtis angel bassett but then it's like you have these other people who are kind of like you know, Carrie condon hong chow and then the kind of like stephanie shu it's like you know it's almost like a generational thing it's really hard to see what's you know what's really going to work out but i mean part of me wants to say it'll be angela bassett or jamie lee curtis because it's like you know i think they're two of the most under-nominated actresses i mean this is jamie Lee Curtis's first yeah. academy nomination ever yeah yeah mm-hmm. But, I mean, personally, I want it to be Stephanie, but I think it would either... It might go to Kerry Condon or Hong Chow. I don't have a specific one out of the two, but I think it'll be one of them who gets it.
1: Uh, if you had to pick one? Yeah. What What does your heart say, James?
0: I just gotta go with Kerry Condon.
2: Okay. Okay. I think the
0: Academy will recognize that.
2: Okay. So, the, uh, the BAFTA winner, which... Uh, I feel like it's tough to tell when the BAFTA is going to get it right when, when it comes to the Academy and when they're kind of playing their own game. You never know. Um,
1: Tilda Swinton wasn't in the game until she won the BAFTA.
2: Exactly. So, okay. Um, last, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do it as well, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Look, Jimmy Lee Curtis is a fantastic actress. I'm glad that she finally has been nominated. I felt like this performance, and it's not a dig, but if we're ranking, we're ranking. I feel like it's a caricature it's like very specifically, she's this, um, IRS agent or whatever it is. Um, very like gruff and everything. But she's hilarious. Is it very effective and her various different forms? I think there's like only one major form, the one where it's like the hot dog hand universe, um, sausage fingers, whatever you want to call it. Um, or you get like some more emotional depth to her and you eventually see that in our timeline as well. Um, I, I, I don't have a problem with her being nominated per se. I'm a little confused as to why so many pundits have her as like a front runner. I don't personally get it myself. Um, number four, I don't know if this is like identical to my rankings on Phelps Fatale, but them's the breaks. Uh, number four, I've got Seventy shoe who I feel like is also really good. Um, I like. I feel like she's, and I don't I mean have to sound disrespectful, a little bit more deserving of being in this category this year. I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is a lot more of a legacy thing, and so be it. I have no problem with her being nominated. The fact that she wasn't before is just silly. She's a legend. Um, Stephanie Shu, I feel like uh, balances between the uh, the goofy side of the film, the uh, lethargic existential dread of the film, and also the um, the youthful innocence and sadness like a daughter that just wants to connect with her mom um deep down and that's why she's kind of pushing her away like i feel like there's she nailed that quite a bit uh number three i've got carrie condon who yep the uh moral epicenter of the panchies of inis i feel like her, her rage is our rage and i feel like it's cathartic hilarious meaningful um just fantastic such a great performance. Um, number two is Angela Bassett. I uh, never thought I would rank a Marvel performance so high, but my goodness, she's not in Wakanda forever for very long, but whatever part she's in, she absolutely steals. I frankly think she's too good for, for like Marvel films. I'm not trying to take a jab at, at Marvel, but I'm just saying like, those are kind of like forms of escapism. She's just like, the Shakespearean level, classically trained actress who's in this film—it just is—is is, it's, it's fascinating, but I think she's brilliant. Um, number one is Hong Chau, who is one. Of
1: I mean, DC's won two acting Oscars, so we can't let them get away with
2: it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that that is true. Uh, uh, number one for me is Hong Chau for the whale. Who Hong Chau is one of my favorite actors working right now, and I feel like uh, she's been so underrepresented. On the fact that she got nominated this year was like my happiest surprise that I had. I was just so stoked for her uh, for me. Um, I kind of see how you're feeling James, where I feel like, where you feel like this could have been anybody if they did a really good job. But for me, there's just something that Hong Chow brings to every performance where she's just so different at every single thing that she's done, whether it's downsizing or the menu or Bojack Horseman. Um, she's just so. Oh,
1: God. Yes. I forgot about her small part in Bojack Horseman. Yeah. What's
2: her name? Pickles, the dog. I think it's Pickles. Um, she's like an influencer young dog that dates Mr. Peanut Butter, I think. Anyway, uh, sidetracking. <laughs> so, uh, this is not a crossover episode. So uh, Hong Chao, I feel like, just has a certain jinnisiqua that she elevates every single performance with. And that's the thing. I don't know what it is. It's not necessarily presence. It's not necessarily how she uh, voices things. It's just every single time she does something a little bit extra to stand out. And I feel like with this, she resembles the gray area of um, of grieving, of pain, of agony, but also trying to be there for somebody just because somebody needs somebody to be there for them. Um I feel like you know. You said anybody could have done this, James, um, and you might absolutely be right. The way I feel about it is, anybody could have done this and not made it special. I feel like Hong Chau makes it special, and that's why she's my number one. Who's going to win? Oh God, help us! Um, you might have something with saying Carrie Condon. I, I don't know. Um, I feel like this is going to change until I make my final predictions next Sunday on Oscar Day, March twelfth. I'm going to go with Angela Bassett for now, um, but that could change. I'm going to go with Angela
1: Bassett. This is one of the ones where we won't
2: know totally envelopes. No idea. Like, just as a shot in the dark. Anyway, that was our first episode of two of our Oscars Roundtable. Um, any parting thoughts for this episode?
0: Well, I have one thought and one thing I want to mention. So everybody, if you're listening, go look up the interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, her talking about how she signed on to everything everywhere all at once, solely based on the fact that Michelle Yeoh was starring in it.
1: Okay, it sounds like it's worth checking out.
0: Oh, I, I just wanted to mention, because um, I just saw the menu recently. Can we talk about how that could have easily gotten so many nominations? Oh, God, of course.
1: I know, I'm mad about
2: it.
0: Especially
2: for original screenplay. Especially for original screenplay. But and speaking of the menu, Hong Chao's in that too. So there you go. Um, I will say, I know we've been very hard on Jimmy Lee Curtis' this episode, but I feel like we're all in agreement. She's one of the most badass people ever. And like her support for this film and everybody who's done well within it has been one of the most wholesome beautiful things of the entire award season just love how loving she is about her her cohorts. just amazing
1: and she even owns being a nepo baby
2: yeah like that's jamie lee curtis like if, if you're listening i'm sure you're not we love you in general we love you in general and you are awesome
0: <laughs> oh there's also um this thing um i was watching with kiwi khan he was talking he was talking about jamie lee curtis and like The impact she had on him while making the movie and it's funny he was talking about how great she was and she happened to be there like (laughs) actually be there they cut to her and she's like sobbing but uh yeah she was talking about how great she was and um i guess uh she's the person that gave him the confidence to you know really go through with it because he was feeling insecure like at the beginning of the shoot and after like that i think that first day after like she said something to him he was like all right i can do this
2: well, that, that's great. What about you, Rachel? Any more parting thoughts or ideas or anything?
1: No, I think the m- most of what I want to talk about is going to be in the next episode.
2: Fantastic. Well, that was the K-Cut. Tune into our next episode for um, the second half of our Oscars roundtable. Where can our listeners find that?
1: We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut, and we are also doing our cinematic smorgasbord. And to be honest, I've already forgotten what we're watching
2: That is all good. We're all in Oscars mode. That was the K-Cut. We are now going into the outcome.